I always wonder if my microphone's on at that last uh, stanza, and y'all can hear my wonderful harmony, but uh, so he needs to be in the choir. I want to welcome you here today if you are visiting. We have a number of visitors here. In fact, we have a church planner and a number of folks who are looking into a church plant in a city here in Georgia. Glad to have y'all here with us today. But if you are visiting, uh, one of the things uh, that we believe at Redeemer is that the Bible's an errant word of God. That there is uh, something powerful about the scriptures, okay, in and of themselves. And so uh, we preach through books. We've gone through Galatians. We've gone through Numbers. Uh, we've gone through portions of Psalms. We've gone through um, First, Second Peter, Hebrews, perhaps. Uh, but what we're looking at right now is we're looking at the book of Mark. I've been here 16 years, never went through the gospel. And the reason we're going through the book of Mark is we're getting back to basics to, to talk about who Jesus Christ is. And so, so what we've learned so far uh, from the book of Mark uh, is uh, Mark starts this book telling us who Jesus is. Uh, he's not get, writing a biography. He's writing a gospel. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. And then, of course, um, Jesus kind of confirms that when he comes uh, out of the wilderness and he begins uh, preaching the kingdom of God. And when he talks about the kingdom of God, he says the kingdom of God is, is at hand. And remember how we looked at the Greek word for uh, kingdom of God is at hand. It's right under your nose. And yet so many miss it. But what we've been seeing uh, for the last uh, several months is how Jesus begins to unfold who he is. As your God and your Savior. And uh, we've seen that he had authority in his preaching and his teaching. That nobody spoke like him. Why? Because he was talking about himself. <laughs> uh, but then we saw that he was uh, the Lord of, of, of the diseases, uh, that he, could, uh, he healed the paralytic. And then we saw him uh, as the Lord uh, over, over nature, right? Several weeks ago, John preached about that, that he, Jesus, uh, God in the flesh, he stands on the boat and he tells a, a hurricane to stop. And, it, and I can tell you in the Greek, it says immediately calm. I think you hit that, John. And they were like, whoa, who is this that even the wind of the waves obey? Uh, we looked at the, the, the de, de, demoniac in Jesus last week, that he is Lord of the demons. Now what we're going to look at today is that he is Lord over two other things, and they're both very similar. And one is chronic disease, chronic problem. Mental, emotional, whatever it may be, which is almost like death itself, living death. But he's also Lord of death. Lord over death. And so, with that in mind, I want you to come to God's Word and uh, read along with me. It's in Mark chapter 5. And again, the reason we print it in your bulletin, if you go, wow, there's not a lot of Bibles there at Redeemers, because we print the bulletin, I guess, but we tend to stay in this text. But here, here we go. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
And he went to him. And a crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And was no better. But grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus. And came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. So go in peace. And be healed of your disease. And while we were speaking, there came from the ruler's house somebody said, Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. And they came to the house and the rule of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. And he went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you are the God who reveals yourself. You are the God that we can know. But Lord, help us to understand you are obligated to reveal yourself to no one. And yet, Lord, you're willing to reveal yourself. But according to the scriptures, our hearts are so hard. Uh, we want you to ignore us. And not be confronted with who you are. But Lord, we thank you that one of the means that you use to cause us to see the world for what it is, fleeting, passing away, is you bring affliction. Sometimes it's chronic, sometimes it is acute. But it wears us to the point to see that we need the eye of faith to see beyond this world. Or to see things in this world that we live in that you're sovereign in them. 
And so, Father, I pray for any who are here who have no faith. And Lord, they have been content to be one of the crowds amazed at what you do, but never throwing themselves at your feet. Lord, would you have mercy on some this morning? Father, would you renew people, restore them, convert them? And we ask these things in your name. Amen. If you notice, say, but the title of my sermon is Timing. And kind of the reason I, I titled, titled it that is because one of the things you realize about life is that almost everything about life is timing. Have you ever noticed that? Like, uh, I don't like doing my own stocks and stuff because anytime I try to do that, it was bad timing, right? Instead of going north, it went south. And instead of uh, being a millionaire, uh, I'm here in my sweater. But. Imagine uh, you're going to the ball game. You've got SEC tickets for this weekend. You've got the tickets. You had a friend said, hey, I've got two tickets. I want you and your wife to come. But on Tuesday this week, your wife is going to take your daughter to McDonald's, and she's going to be in that little playpen with all those diseases. <laughs> and, uh, which I'm not a neat freak, by the way, but they seem to be diseased to me. But... And so there's a little boy named uh, uh, Alfred that's there, and he's got, uh, he's got uh, a stomach virus. And so your daughter gets that stomach virus on her hands. Now, the good thing uh, for your daughter, it's sad she gets stomach virus, but she gets it on Friday. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, it's about 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon, and you and your wife, y'all are getting ready to meet up and get the tickets, right? And, and uh, the stomach virus hits you. And, uh, and guess what? That's bad timing because you're not going to the ball game. But, I mean, isn't this the way it is? Isn't this how life is? Now, let me give you an example of this, you, you kids, because I want you all to understand this, especially if you're in junior high because you start thinking about timing, and God's timing sometimes is not so good. It's hard, right? Junior high is hard sometimes. Chronic, maybe. It's not chronic. You'll get out of junior high. But. Uh, so let me tell you this story um, about how I met Mary Beth, my wife. Uh, I was playing golf with my dad in, in the summer of 1974. I had been a Christian for two years. I was converted in 1972, met Jesus Christ, and been trying to figure out what all that meant, and I'm still trying to discover what is all the magnitude of his resurrection in my life. And, and so, but anyway, I was playing golf with my dad in July of 1972. It was 100 and I don't know how many degrees it was, but my father and I had never quit a golf game, but on number 13, we were playing terribly, and it was miserable, and he said, let's go, and I said, I agree with you, so we left on the 13th hole on that July afternoon, and so we're going through a neighborhood called Chanticleer, well, I know how to get out of Chanticleer to the main road, but my father took a wrong turn, when he took that wrong turn, he goes down by the house of a friend of mine named Sammy Reese, one of my best friends, who also came to Christ about the same time I did, and he's still a good Christian brother, and he's married to the girl that was there with him, that was his uh, girlfriend. Uh, well, they happened to be out in the front yard looking at their dad's uh, boat, who, who just happened to pull up with the boat, so they're all outside when we take the wrong turn, when it's 113 degrees or whatever it was, and we quit on the 13th hole. And so by this time, I've been a Christian two years. I really wanted to find a girl that was serious about her faith. Right? Really loved, that really wanted to do more than just go to Sunday school and, and uh, Sunday night. But what does it mean? What does all this conversion stuff mean? And so uh, I knew his girlfriend was very committed. 
And uh, she still to this day is very committed. And she said, do you know, uh, do you know Mary Beth Chandler? And uh, so I said, yeah, I met her one time. She's kind of cute. Is she a believer? And she said, yes. And I thought, wow, two for one or one for two or whatever. <laughs> so anyhow, so I, met, so I called Mary Beth up. She doesn't go out with me the first two or three times, but I was persistent. And um, so we go out uh, eight days before she goes off to college. She goes off to college, and then we date four years and, uh, well, then we get married, and then we have, like, four children. But before we had four, I had two. My wife was the one that said, hey, you know what? I really think that you're wasting your time until you go to seminary. I think God wants you to be a minister of the gospel. My wife was the one that told me that. Now, I could go on, right? But let me ask you this. Is the reason uh, that I married Mary Beth because my daddy took a wrong turn? Because it was so hot, we didn't finish our 18 holes of golf. Do I have four children? Do they exist because uh, <clears throat> my daddy took a wrong turn? In fact, the church started here 16 years ago. Is the reason that you're all here today is because my daddy took a wrong turn? Well, you see, all these things, obviously, at some level, either there's a purpose in them or they're all random. And as a matter of fact, sometimes I think maybe the way you look at your marriage is that, well, that was random. Versus seeing God's sovereign design in that. Are things that are going on in your life presently. And I'll tell you, sometimes you look back on your life or, or, or sometimes in the moment, you, you, things seem to, to be random. Why am I in this situation? Why is this the way it is? And yet, for a person who matures as a Christian over the years, they still have these moments in their life, but they look back and it's like a tapestry of what God is doing. God has purposes. God has timing. And He's always on time because He's powerful and He is able. Now, I'll tell you, if this is not true, you know what? Then our lives are pointless, as far as I'm concerned. There's no real point. You, there's no God you can really know. There's no God who, as according to the confessions, says uh, that, he, that, that providence is when God governs all his creatures and all their actions from the greatest to the least. Now, I know that some of you are doubting this. I know that some of you have had some very difficult things that have been happening in your lives. In fact, I will tell you this. As your pastor, sometimes I'm saying, God, why are you piling on? Uh, like, let, just do a little bit more over here and, and let them up. And, of course, I'm just your pastor and God is your father. And he says to me, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I know what I'm doing because what ultimately matters is my glory and the best place for them to be, whether it's acute suffering or whether it's chronic suffering, is when I am being glorified in their lives, right? That's the safest place. So as we look at this text, I mean, what about you? Do you have saving faith in Jesus Christ? You know, um, uh, the, the Bible, we talk about, a lot about this. One of the great, great things about the evangelical faith is that we believe you're justified by faith, right? You're not, it's not by works. It's not by performance. It's by faith. But I'm going to tell you that if you have justifying faith, you have saving faith, you will have sanctifying faith. Because you see, the Bible says, the just shall do what? Live by works. 
live by manipulating. We will live by faith. And I'll tell you the church plan here in Griffin. The goal is to plant that church, the glory of God, living by faith. Methodology is fine and good. But what matters in Griffin, Georgia, is that God's timing is it's time to show up. Or whether it's in Athens, Georgia, or wherever it might be that he shows up. Right? So again, before I go through these points, I want to ask you, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where are you in all these things? Maybe timing seems good. Hey, I got a, I got a date this weekend. I'm starting to date somebody. I really like them. On the other hand, some of y'all have broken up. Some of you just got married. Now some of you are in the, in the throes of being married eight years and you're going, man, I don't know how to make this work. But the gospel's powerful. And so here's the, here's the things I want you to think about and, and the moments we have before we come to the Lord's table. We're going to see that uh, in our text that it's uh, God's timing, not ours. And then we're going to see that uh, God's timing, the purpose of God's timing is to create and, and to perfect faith, okay? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, not by works. Uh, that would lead to pride and arrogance and you would be boring and, and, or difficult. But it's, but, it's, but it's by faith. And then the last thing to see is this. God's timing is revealed to who? To those who believe. It is not revealed to the crowd. We'll see this. I mean, rarely is it being revealed to the crowd. In fact, Jesus is basically saying all the time, don't, don't tell people what happened because my time has not come yet because he was on a timeline to go to the cross. And so, I mean, really, is God obligated to reveal himself to everybody here? And, and so let's, let's look at this. First, God's timing is not our timing. Now, this passage is recorded also in Matthew and Luke. Uh, We're looking at it here in Mark, so it's obviously an important text. And there's some variations in the text, but I don't have time to go into explaining why there are variations uh, that are there. But it's an important story. And what's interesting about this story, right, you have kind of like uh, two things going on, uh, two two storylines are converging, Right? It's like the big storyline, and then in the midst of the storyline, there's another storyline that really is related to the other. So you have to look at both of them together, and it's very important that in the Gospels they're there. And so who do we have in our storyline? We have two people. Well, we have a lot of people, but two main characters. First, we have Jairus. And it's important to know who Jairus is so you'll appreciate what he did. Jairus is not only a rabbi... But he was a ruler of the synagogue. Uh, Therefore, uh, he was a a man who probably was well-educated. He was a man who was paid well. Um, He was a man who was apparently a good family man, right? Because you children, you see here that he loved his little girl who's 12 years old. And he'd be like your, your dad if he was 12 and he was so worried about you. So he's a good family man. He was respected. He never had anybody, um, he never wondered what he would be doing on a Friday night or a or Thursday night, people probably inviting him over. So he had a lot of um, social status that was there. And then you have this woman, and notice she doesn't have a name. She's just this woman uh, who has an issue of blood 
And the text tells us that she had an issue of blood for 12 years, like over a decade. And of course, in modern times, you go, wow, that would be a bad thing. But, but, but you have no idea how bad it is in their culture. If you were to study Leviticus 15 and go to Numbers chapter 10, you will see that she is, because of this issue of blood, she is ceremonially unclean. And therefore, in Jewish society, uh, she was pushed aside. And the reason being is uh, that the idea was that the uncleanness uh, was, uh, would infect others. It would, it, would, it, it would contaminate others. And, of course, if you ladies are saying, wow, you know, that's, uh, wow, that seems to be harsh. Well, you know what? If you go to, to Numbers chapter 10, you'll discover that men had things as well that were unclean. And there had to be the, the ceremony, ceremonial cleansing. Now, of course, all of this is pointing future, future to the fact that everything that's inside us needs cleansing. Okay, so, but, hey, the, she didn't understand all that. All she knew is that she was rejected If she was married, she was probably divorced. She would probably be seen to be cursed, and and she was ostracized by society and barred from worship. And her situation, right, is so bad. Notice what it says in verse 26. Uh, It tells us that she had suffered under many physicians, spent all that she had, and was no better and was getting worse. Would y'all say that's a helpful situation? How her spirit must be crushed. I was reading uh, the different cures they had in the Talmud about a woman who had this problem. And I don't have time to read all of them, but let me just read you one. And so she maybe she did this. She found the, um, uh, the barley corn, which had been taken from the droppings of a white she-donkey. That's what she would carry around with her along with the other things that were supposed to cure, but none of these things worked. And so she's cut off from her family, society, and worship. She's broke, and she's desperate. So they actually, according to the way world work, the world works, they have nothing in common. They're, they're, they're different ends. Of this guy's got it all, she has nothing. But now, you see, he himself... Where he comes in common with her is he is absolutely desperate. Right. Now he's desperate. I'll tell you, sometimes when I see people struggle, and I think I have the privilege of being a minister, I don't think, wow, they need to get their act together. You see, it is God's grace. And sometimes God's grace for you is for you to be desperate. Because you're not coming otherwise. And one of the things I've learned about people who are in desperate situations is, you know what, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter whether you're black or white, it doesn't matter what, there's this bond that you have in your desperation. You know, one of the things I appreciate about AA is I've I've, I've gone to observe AA meetings, but one of the things they do right is they all get together and they all basically say, we are really screwed. We are now controlled by some substance. And uh, we are not in control of our lives. And here you, have, here you have a poor person right next to a rich person. But they're both desperate, you see. 
And when we get in desperate situations, that's when your friends tend to move away. That's when the world tends to move away because they don't want to be reminded of how out of control everything really is, you see? Because ultimately what's out of control for everybody in this room is your death. And you're going to die. And so God is constantly bringing things in our lives to say the reason there's death is because there's sin. And the reason you'll die is because of your sin. That's your ultimate need. And we're going to see that need met uh, in the little girl who is healed. But what I want you to notice uh, about... uh, Jairus and this woman, and as I I read a good bit about this, most commentators agree with this. They have two different kind of problems. Okay, they're both poor. I mean, she's poor and he's rich. They're both desperate, but they're desperate about two different things. She's desperate about what's chronic in her life. And he's desperate about what's acute. Now, for you people right now that are struggling with what is chronic in your life, whether it's a disease or, or you're struggling with mental illness or you're struggling with depression or you're just doubting and it's doubting or, or things have happened in your family and you're wrestling with what's going on. Well, think about this woman. There is no, it's, no, it's not coincidental that the little girl was 12 years old when she started having her problems. So while the whole time this girl is growing up, This lady, when she was born, she says she's 20 years old, okay? She's 20 years old. She gets married. The first three or four months of her marriage are great. But then she begins to have this problem. And her husband's in the military, so he has to leave for a year. But when he comes back, she still has this problem. And it goes for two years. And it goes for three years. And then people begin to back away. Because what can they do? Because all the ceremonial laws say, well, she has to be cured. And so she goes through all these things. Maybe you're like that right now. I know some of you. You're still at a place to where it just seems like nothing's going to end. This is, this is terrible. And this is this lady's situation. And right now you see yourself as that woman that needs to be touched. And whatever your situation is needs to be resolved. But Jairus is different, isn't he? Uh, his little girl, probably everything was great. Family's good. Things are going great. But maybe she got appendicitis. Maybe that's what it was. I almost died when I was her age with appendicitis. They didn't have a good doctor. I'd be dead. Timing, you see. So, so, here, she, so, so here she is, uh, a 12-year-old girl that grew up in a wonderful family, but now she has an acute problem. She's going to die. And so here they're on their way. This woman touches Jesus, and when he touches her, she's healed, right? And so when she is healed, everything stops, and Jesus stops the, the, <laughs> the procession, right, to, to, to uh, Jairus' house. And uh, I'm sure that at that point, Jairus is like, what is going on here? Come on, let's go. We got to go because I've got an acute problem. Have you ever had an acute problem? Whether it's, I remember one time I had one uh, with money. This is when I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, for whatever reason, whoever was supposed to be paying me, this was not Redeemer. 
they forgot to pay me. So I was taking my family out. 15th of the month, I got money. So I go to McDonald's. That's where I went to eat out. So I mean, McDonald's, they had those ATMs back then. And so I look it up and, and it says I have no money. But then I started checking into it. And uh, I had, like, I don't know, 30 bounce checks because everything was coming through at that time. And so uh, I had an acute problem. And my wife was with me, and rather than saying faith, going, hey, it's okay, no problem. <laughs> she saw me hit the panic button, right? But he's hitting the panic button because he's losing his daughter. And so he's, I'm sure, wondering what in the world is going on. Well, <clears throat> you see, it's at that point that he's speaking to this woman. They come to him, and they say, no need to bother your daughter's dead. Well, what would he do? God's timing certainly seems to be completely off at that point. Well, that brings me to the next point. God's timing is for a reason. Because it creates uh, and it refines faith. We're going to see this in the way he confronts her and the way he confronts Jairus because they're coming to Jesus for reasons that they thought were the right reasons and they were good reasons, but they're not the ultimate reasons that Jesus wanted for them. So, what's happening here? Well, one of the things that's interesting to me, again, is how many people are always following Jesus. And so the crowds are pressing. Uh... Because they're interested in what's going on. They're interested in who he is. Very similar to somebody that might be interested in going to the circus. And uh, it's exciting. It's, it's entertaining. Uh, and so I want to be there when the circus is there. But when after the two or three hours, you know what? You go about your own way of life. And you just go about your life. And so there's always these crowds that are, that are very interested in what Jesus is doing. But the difference between Jairus... And her is that they do something none of the other crowd does. You know what they do? They fall at his feet. They fall at his feet and they say, Lord, have mercy upon us. Well, what causes them to fall at the feet? Well, the situation in God's timing, but it's ultimately faith that brings them there in their situation. It's because... Uh, they are desperate. There is no place else to go, perhaps Jesus. But what's interesting is Jairus comes quickly and she comes a little bit slower to it. Well, why does Jairus come quickly? Well, I, I mean, this is just my own thoughts, but the, the reason I think he came quickly is because he'd been thinking about who Jesus is, right? He was a rabbi. And there's a lot of questions about who Jesus Christ was. And, uh, and the rabbis were kind of getting divided out here as to whether you're going to follow Jesus or whether you were going to uh, be against Jesus. He, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced he wasn't sure where he was standing on that because, you see, uh, to make that decision would have affected his livelihood if Jesus was not who he said he was. But now the circumstances bring him no choice but to come to Jesus. And so he desperately comes to Jesus because it's out of his hands. And this is what faith does. You know, we grasp all these other things 
You know, maybe my marriage will be better here after we go to this seminar. Maybe my money situation will be better here if I, I do this. Uh, maybe things will be better if my children get out of high school and go to college. Whatever it is that we ultimately put our faith in, but they're basically smoke and mirrors. Until you come to the point and you say, Lord, I, have, I, I need you desperately. So Jairus comes immediately. But here's the difference. Uh, here's the thing that Jairus wanted. He wanted his daughter to be healed, okay? But Jesus wanted to test his faith, as one put it, so that he might have a resurrection. He just wants her to be healed and go back to normal, right? Isn't that what you want sometimes? Just things go back to normal. If Jesus would solve this financial problem, if he would get me back together with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, or if he would make my marriage work out exactly right and we can go back the way we were. But Jesus is always for more than that. And what about the woman? What does she want? Do you think she had a legitimate reason to come to Jesus? She's had an issue for, uh, of blood for 12 years. She's completely ostracized. Well, she, she doesn't know all that it means to come to Christ, but it is a simple faith that brings her to touch his cloak, right? And so when she touches her cloak, guess what? She's healed. Jesus senses the power that goes out of him. And so she begins to slink away. She's not supposed to be in that crowd, and she's certainly not supposed to touch the rabbi, right? And so she's moving away going... I've got what I need. I can go about my life again. Guess what? Jesus calls her out, doesn't he? He says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, how do we know? And Jesus says, somebody did because I felt the power go. Well, she's walking away with a healing, right? She thinks she's fine. I just want to get out of here now. It can be normal. And Jesus brings her to him because she finally comes and she admits it's her. And she comes, in fear. she comes in fear. And what's really amazing here is the way that Jesus deals with her. It says, And trembling she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed in your disease. You see, she had a faith, but it was a superstitious faith. It's like, well, I touched his clothes, kind of like the prayer cloth. Y'all ever seen the prayer cloth thing? I have some up in my desk if you want to buy some. <laughs> right? We do this if we do that. And even people would say uh, the, uh, the chant, what Jesus said to this little girl, because maybe in the chanting of, of what he said to this girl in the Aramaic, the raiser from the dead, it would solve their problems. She was superstitious. And a lot of you are superstitious. I'm not saying you don't have saving faith. You have a faith that's brought you to Jesus Christ, but you're not living by faith. And you're still confused. And you say, well, I, I read my Bible this week, maybe God will bless me. Or I prayed this week, maybe God will bless me. Or I fasted this week. God does nothing for you because of any of that. Everything he does for us, he does for us because Christ has done it on our behalf. And you're united to him by faith. And he wants you to grow so that when the next thing comes in your life, it's more and more difficult, even unto your death, that you know that you have him. I have him, you see. Now, before I get to my last point, I want to ask you this. Does, does that matter to you? Do you have him or do you want the money? You want the boyfriend? You want to be popular? Or you want to be prettier? Or you want to lose weight? 
Uh, you know, it's amazing how we miss out on him. And that's what he wants for us. Well, here's the question. Who gets to see this? Right? I mean, who gets to see his timing? And, and also, you start walking in lockstep with the timing the same way Jesus did with his own father, right? Well, this is the Father's will for me. Well, who gets to see this? Well, notice when he comes to the house and everybody's upset, right? And you know why they're upset? Because the little girl died. And here she is up there ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, not because of an issue of blood, but because she's dead. You go read that in Leviticus 15 as well. I mean, yeah, Leviticus 15. So, but he comes in and he says, what's the commotion? They're like, what do you mean the little girl's dead? And what's he say to them? He said, no, she's not dead. She's asleep. And what do they do? They mock him. Why? Because, okay, maybe you can do this. Maybe you can heal that woman with the issue of blood and whatever else you've been doing, but you're not going to raise the dead. And guess what Jesus tells them to do? Leave. But the, the girl's mother and the girl's daddy, those who desperately need, need Jesus to work, they're allowed to enter in. I mean, I want to read this. And then I want to close. I was reading something by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Y'all know I quote him a lot. But he says something pretty chilling, I think, about why we go to church and people that go to church or people, maybe you're here today and you're going, I don't believe any of this. Or maybe you're going, okay, I believe it. I've heard it a thousand times. Woo. Okay, that's like the crowd stuff. Or you come to Redeemer because you like the music. That's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about testing Jesus. The people who came to examine and test him invariably went away disappointed and confused, feeling that they themselves had been tested and examined in the very depth of their being. They come to examine Jesus, but then you know what? You get close to him, he begins to examine you. Those who came to trap him and to entice him in his words and to get him into difficulties invariably went away confounded and condemned and hating him with bitter hatred. But those who fell at his feet, who acknowledged him and his greatness never failed to obtain a blessing. Let there be no mistake about this. If you approach him in the mere spirit of curiosity, he will not reveal himself to you. If you come with your own ideas and conceptions in order to judge and to estimate and to try him, he will confound you by holding forth before you a standard of life to which you can never attain and an example and a pattern which makes your highest and noblest efforts trivial and childish. Approach him as if he were merely a man among men, albeit the greatest and best and noblest to whom you're prepared to show great respect and deference and whose example and pattern you're prepared to follow, approach him in any of these ways, any, any one of those ways on your feet and relying to the slightest extent on yourself and your own powers, you will never know the blessing of Jesus. You may persuade yourself of many things, but you will never know what he really does and for his own. He only blesses those 
who come in desperation upon their knees and rest in him alone. That is what Jesus wants us to understand this morning. Well, he touches this little girl and all he says, hey, you're, wake up. Basically, honey, it's time for school. That's kind of the translation a little bit. That's no big deal. And he touches the ceremony unclean. And he raises her from the dead. No big deal. Why is he able to do why can we? Why can we come and do this? I'll tell you. Somebody put it this way. Because the father whose hand he clutched, he was willing to be pulled away from on the cross so that we might know his touch. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He is our substitute. So I'll close by asking this question. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Are the things that God in His providence and in His timing that are difficult, are they driving you toward Christ? Are they driving you to more hardness of heart? I would encourage you to Look to Christ. He is kind and gentle. Why wouldn't we be? So his timing's bad. Has anybody ever loved you like this? Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, we are thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for any who are here that are hurting, uh, Lord, things that are chronic in their lives. Father, I pray that they might know today that they can cast themselves upon you. I'm sure this woman had many more problems after she was healed, but she had Jesus for all her problems. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, open the eyes of those who just can't see. Would you do that this morning? And, Father, as we come to the Lord's table, Lord, that for those who receive you by faith, would they be strengthened in their faith? And we love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you of the truths of the gospel found in your word. We ask it in your name. Amen.